Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got Christopher Palomares and, of course, New England's own uh, James Lincoln. My bad. I screwed up the time, and it's only 20 uh-huh. minutes late, so. <clears throat> when... Only, only. <laughs> Famous last word. Yes, 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 uh-huh. yes. Mm-hmm. So I tell you what, the uh, activity on the Facebook page has really picked up. Jim, the people are really enjoying the track laying and the uh, detailing. Yeah, me actually getting off my duff and do something? I wasn't going to say that, but yes. And then, Chris, I mean, we talked about remotoring older Athens and your post, I guess, what, yesterday or day before about remodeling or remotoring with a Kato. Yeah. You know, there's already been a couple guys like it and one guy responded. So. Yeah, actually I, I have photos that, that I'm going to be posting next here just to kind of tease everyone that's really interested in the blue box install because I um, I mentioned that, I think I've put up three, maybe four, doing them as blog articles under Duck Dogger. Because when I tried the first one, and this is golly, a year ago, very similar to what both of you guys are doing, I couldn't get the structure correct. In other words, have the photos insert within the narrative at the right spot. It just grouped them all at the end. So I did the blog and got incredible readership on it. Plus then there was, it was coherent because the the verbiage and the photos were all tied together. So a lot of response on that. And it ties in with what you guys have been doing too on the, uh, the incredible track work, uh, Jimmy, where you were laying the switches, the turnouts, then what you're getting ready to do Chris, on the uh, remotoring. I think there's a lot of people interested in both because probably, especially guys like me, you got 50 blue box locomotives sitting around that are just begging to be updated. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an opportunity to kind of bring out some some fun stuff into this because one of the things that I was kind of lurking around on YouTube was... What's a really good repower process? But yeah, I, I I really haven't seen a whole lot on that. I, I'm starting to worry that it's becoming a lost art. So um, the what I want to do is just a series of videos of, you know, I'll, I'll bring in just about anything that I can find, even you know some old lifelike stuff that had the weird <laughs> gear ratios and stuff. Yes, yes. Well, it's interesting. Have you ever gotten in contact with um? Oh, what the heck is his name? Uh, the guy who owns the diesel list, Andy Harmon. Andy Harmon. He he repowers everything with cables. Yeah. He just yeah. doesn't. When he gets a locomotive, he pulls the engine out. He pulls the motor out, puts in a Kato. Doesn't matter what it is. He just you know Brian Banna does the same thing, and yeah. you know, not knocking the the Athern Genesis motor, not knocking the any. Uh, RTR or whatever motor that the Walters puts in theirs or the lifelike. It, it, it's just a matter of simplicity as far as like what you have to stock and keep around. 
you know. Well, the other thing is, you know, there's a there's a known good, shall we say? I don't know if that's the right term, but ever since their creation, when when Cato Atlas the RS three came out, you can take an Atlas, an old Atlas Cato RS three, and run it with a modern Cato locomotive, and they all run the same. Yeah. Yes. Um, the the quality control from what I've from what I understand of those motors is second to none. So you're right, and you can get them. So and uh, relatively cheaply. I mean, right. uh, a motor just the, by itself without the flywheels is about nineteen ninety eight. And I mean, that's very reasonable in this day and age. You know, for a repower, it's a great starting point for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of my MTHPAs has fried two decoders, two ESUs. Uh-oh. Oh, no. And uh, Matt replaced the first one under warranty. And when the second one, I mean, everything worked, just the uh, motor control went away. And he said, well, he said, this isn't a warranty issue because you know, you've just got an MTH motor that's drawing high current. So right now it's a sound dummy. Yeah, I just oh, took out okay. the worm gear and removed the drive shaft, and it now becomes the trailing unit. But when we had this conversation before, Chris, and then what reminded me was seeing your Facebook posting was, instead of worrying about buying a new MTH motor, I just need to go find a uh, Cotto with uh, flywheels. Just drop it in. Well, you know, it, it's there's that, and, it, you know, kind of not giving away too much for the blue box install. There's a guy on eBay that 3D prints his own Kato motor mounts for the blue box and different different models. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people know about that. So I was going to kind of give him a plug, maybe reach out to him and see if we could do some custom ones too for, for some of these other models. There's also the opportunity just to do it with the, the frame entirely. Uh, extreme one, it would be like the lifelike SD60. You know, there's just a lot of gear ratio problems and stuff like that. It would actually be easier just to start with like a more common underframe and machine it to fit the, that shell. So if a guy has a lot invested into a model that he detailed up and decaled and put in a, you know, a, a decoder that's, that's, you know, perfect for that, it, it would be for, for that level of person. I mean, yeah. some of these are just going to be dropping. You just drop in the motor, connect all the drive lines up and you're good to go. But that, that's not going to be always the case, but so. Well, and. I thought, you know, this motor, the one that's drawing a little bit excess current, might mm-hmm. be a good candidate for a Tsunami 2 because right. we've got the extra power handling. But then I go, well, okay, I don't know how well that will run with the other two or the other three ESUs. And the sound would certainly be different because I've got a graphic equalizer on the Tsunami 2 that I right. could tune, and I thought, okay, let's go buy a thirty-five to forty-dollar Cotto motor and flywheels instead of four new Tsunami twos at you know ninety bucks a piece. The the numbers kind of make sense. So, but you're right, the Cotto is just 
smooth as silk. It's a great locomotive motor. Well, you know, it's also, I think some people have a good investment into Kato already. You know, I, I do myself. Uh, before Genesis, there was Kato. So and I, I think the, the Kato drive kind of set the, set the standard for a lot of manufacturers to uh, represent in their own product line. So uh, with, with that said, I think there's been a lot of advancement. Um, there's been simple engineering and, and all the fussing with a blue box gearbox, um, yeah. you know, on the trucks is worthless. I mean, yes. <laughs> you can fuss with it for hours and hours, but there's just simple engineering that has fundamentally changed how those gears mesh with each other and, yeah. and roll inside there that, you know, it, it, it's time to just to replace them. Because I was gonna say, you'll never be able to get them as smooth as you can now. So. so what would you do? Replace the old blue box trucks with new RTR or Genesis trucks? Yes, you can go that route or you can actually go in and just replace the gears if you oh, are, okay. if you don't want to give up the, the, the compatibility with the underframe. You okay. See the, the, the whole thing, once you go, um, once you go kind of start bringing in new components, then, the, then the next thing is, okay, you're going to need a new drive lines. Okay. You're, you're going to need new worm gears. Okay. Well, maybe you just need to get a new underframe. <laughs> you know? Okay. So I, I think psychologically it's going to be harder for guys to accept, you know, just gutting the whole thing and, and putting in something brand new. I'm going to try to use whenever possible as much of the old locomotive uh, chassis as I possibly can, but that 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 may not completely accomplish bringing it completely up to date. So there's going to be different phases to this. There's going to be the quick and easy way, and then sort of the you know okay this is I I want to get this thing modern. You know what does it take? Show me everything that you got to do to to make it modern. Okay, so. and and to your point, when I had the uh, STP40F that uh, I had kit-bashed out of a, uh, a ready-to-run Atherin FP45, when I wanted to upgrade the trucks to Dash 2 style, mm -hmm. I bought a pair and dropped the uh, old trucks out, could not make the uh, current run, you know, RTR dash two trucks fit that old uh, blue box frame. Yeah. It's because your guy's design had evolved, become, you know, much more refined. And yeah. That just wouldn't accept the new trucks. So yep. I understand totally what you're saying. It, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I, I think, Kind of reaching out to some of these old models, even Tower Fifty Five. Yeah, remember those? Yes. So I, I've been hearing about like uh, there's some crack gear problems on like the on the Universals or something like that, and I really want to dig into that and see what needs to be done, what you can do. It may take a little bit of cutting, machining, or whatever, but how how can you just get get that get that locomotive to a more modern state 
But and when do you say machining, especially if it's uh, pretty invasive on the the frame? A lot of guys don't have the equipment to do that. Uh, Micromark and other people sell it, but it's not inexpensive. And heaven knows if you took a CAD print over to the local machine shop, you know, <laughs> to have them put a rotary cutter to your frame to accept uh, some of this stuff, that's not going to be cheap. Nope. Yeah, I mean... The material removal of metal is never cheap or easy if you don't have the equipment to do it. You know, yes. uh, there there's some guys that that want to go that they want to learn just because that's the direction of the hobby they want to go in. Um, but you know, the the purpose of the videos is more so you can make the evaluation yourself. It's just like, okay, is this really worth what it'll take? To bring it to modern standards or should i just go out and buy you know a new locomotive and, and make this a shelf queen yeah because the, the, at some point there there's just technological advancements that and just engineering i mean that have that has evolved in 20 years you know so yeah there's that satisfaction of having done it you know mm -hmm. figured it out and all of that the older i get i go no, I don't, yeah. I don't need that uh, for my self-respect. You know, some I want to do, some I don't mind putting money down at the uh, local dealer and buying it. Already done. Yeah, yeah exactly. And the the more people know of what, what would be involved, I think that's going to just sort of enhance the experience of just like, okay, I feel better about getting this because I don't want to have to go through all that to you know, make this thing run nicely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, going back to what Jim was doing on the uh, track articles he put in. I right. Mean, he goes to insane levels of detail on his track, but one, it looks good. And then two, he enjoys it. Right, Jimbo? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the other thing is people say, well, you know, that, that that's crazy. I, I, I would go, you know, it's only like six switches. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not building, you know, something that's going to fill an airplane hangar. I'm building a small layout. Yes. Yeah. And like you said, I enjoy doing it. There you go. And you need something to occupy your time while you're waiting on Atherin to come out with the 048 boxcar. That's right. Yeah. The, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I know we're, you know, we're waiting with bated breath breath uh breath to uh <laughs> to uh you know for for the upcoming announcement because i know that's why that's what's been taking up chris's time all this you know so yeah you're you're on to me you heard it here folks you heard it here first folks. <laughs> yeah i kind of i i kind of had a, a a similar experience with something i'm i'm actually when i i was on mute did you um i'm working on um uh, one of the things, you know, people say, well, what, you know, what are you modeling with this, this, you know, this, this little layout that you're building? And, um, I kind of, uh, I, I was here and there going to do a lot of, a lot of things, but I decided I'm going to do a, just kind of an homage to Walt Disney's Carolwood Pacific. Okay. I, had, uh, I was able, I was able to, I think I talked about getting that really nice bobber caboose at, um, 
the Springfield show that the guy does. And uh, so I bought this little Proto 48 locomotive, undecorated Proto 48 locomotive. And I want to paint it or decal it for the Carrollwood Pacific. Well, Carrollwood Pacific never had any diesels. So totally happened to make this up. And I put out a post on Facebook, um, a couple of email requests about does anybody do custom decals or do, do designs or stuff like that. And people came back with, well, you know, you could just download you can just download this program and do it yourself. Save so much money. And then you print it out in your printer and you just print it and blah, 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 blah. Yes. And I was like, uh, that's true. Except then I would have to learn a new program. And then I'd have to go buy the decal stuff. Yeah. And then, and then I'd have to make a whole bunch of mistakes that I don't want to make. Or I could just pay somebody money to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, yeah. he'll have it, and he'll have it done in 15 minutes. And I, I will have that five hours of my life still. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, and I won't be mad. Um, so I've been working with uh, Bill Brillinger. Yes. Uh, he, uh, he, he he's on the a, discussion forums. Yeah, he's done a great job um, with some custom. We're in the process of getting it done for sixty whole dollars. So, including the design and the decals. For in O scale for sixty bucks, um, that's you know, say your time is worth twenty dollars an hour, maybe thirty dollars an hour, depending on what you do. Sure. Uh, so there's my time back. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I didn't have to go find you know shoehorn a shoehorn something through a program that I may or may not have, and you know he probably had it done in thirty five minutes, <laughs> you know, or something like that. It's just. Sure, because he's set up to do it. He can accommodate it. Because he he can accommodate it, and he's used to doing the design work, you know. Whereas, you know, somebody, there's things that I could do, you know, people say, well, you know, I need this part for this car, and I don't know, and it's like, you mean this? Well, how long did that take you? Oh, about 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just, just, just Just ship it over to Shapeways and print it out yourself. You know, stay out of traffic, you know, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. You know, it's because I'm familiar with that. You know, why there, there comes a time where you're much better off spending money than spending your time is what it, it was, what it boils down to. I mean, looping back to your discussion of spending time or spending yeah. money and having, having somebody else do it, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I mean, but some guys will want to do it. And Absolutely. And that's that's kind of the the part of the hobby I think more more often lamentable right now uh, that I detect when when guys are talking. Well, you know what, what happened to actually building kits and do that that part of the hobby. Just time requirements are different now for most people, not everybody. And you know the the hobby can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Sure, but you know having the knowledge and just keep that information around of whatever it is what you know if it's track lane model building drive or mechanism tune up tuning up decoders i mean that going back into history into just what people know i mean all that is is if you look at it if you look at all that holistically it's like all 
all that is equal importance. All that needs to be saved because there's going to be someone at some point that's going to be looking for that information. Yeah. Right. Well, the uh, I think it was about a year ago, did a uh, interview with Kathy uh, uh, Milliat over in Great Britain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You did? And you did? She, because of the time difference and so forth, uh, her schedule, yours, because we did it very, very early uh, in the morning to accommodate it being the difference because oh. she lives right outside of London. Anyway, yeah. she and her uh, guy are touring the U.S. And I, I said, are you going to do oh, really? New Orleans? And she goes, why, yes, we are. And I said, then I will expect a phone call. Be happy to take you out to, you know, you and your guy out to dinner or cook for you here, chill. And she is quite accomplished in her scenery and techniques. She has a very popular YouTube channel. And so I'm looking at my railroad and I'm going, oh, crap, Kathy's coming here. (laughs) So I've been trying to get some things, you know, some loose ends wrapped up and so forth for her visit here before we leave to go to dinner or something. But I watch her videos and she explains her process and how she does it. And I've copied a couple of them because they work, because they work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to that. And it's also not it's also nice that she adds the stuff ah, that doesn't work. Yeah, she does have a sense of humor, that's for sure. Does have a sense of humor. Uh, well not not no I mean besides that, I mean she even adds the stuff in and says, I don't like this because yeah. of this. I did this and it came out yeah. this way. I don't like it. So I'm not I'm not going to do it this way again. I'm going to do it this way, and I like I like this way better because a lot of her videos she's doing like two yeah. or three techniques at the same time and comparing them and say this one works, this one works, this one yeah, not so much yeah. And she's, <laughs> yeah, she's got that which is small not. Yeah. attic railroad. My term attic. I don't know what they call it over in Great Britain based on the New Haven. So it's interesting. So we'll see how that goes. I might even do something live with her or not live, but record it live while she's in, but it's, there's just a lot to be done. And I think the next blog thing I start doing will be on maximizing impact in a small space because Mm -hmm. I get emails and comments like, well, just how big is your railroad based upon the YouTube videos I post on, you know, week, you know, the week photo fun thread. (laughs) I just control yeah. camera angles. Most of those are shot in a four-foot section of scenic layout. And the most recent ones where the steam is coming yeah. down, that's just another four-foot section that I finished. So you can. So I thought, based upon my experience at the hobby store, people would go, well, I can't do much. I've only got a 4 bait or I've only got a 10 by 10 room. Yes, you can. You can do a whole lot. You may not have 15 staging tracks. But you can do a lot of scenery. You can create a lot of feeling, a lot of ambiance, use a lot of modeling skills. So I think we'll broach that subject. Kind of like what you guys do in Fremo, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and kind of looking at these things, 
it's like I don't think that there's a whole lot of record about you know the ground up of building something like that. Uh, um, I was describing a few techniques for how to lay straight and flat track to uh, uh, one of the guys I work with at Adam yeah. because he's interested, and you know, the, the, I had to tell him and describe it to him. I'm like. Why isn't there a video of that out there? Because it'd make a whole lot more sense, you know. <laughs> so, um, just the video format is just opening up a much clearer and I'd say quicker and more concise way to uh, share information. Granted, the the written way is helpful for a chronological process, so you can kind of have have a record of that. But you know, the video is just man, let me show you, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really a lot easier in many ways for some of these things to kind of convey color and, you know, approach and how to, how to hold Well, you brush, just, you, you touched know. on a, an aspect of it. There is a lot of information on YouTube, but depending upon how the guy set up the film, and let's talk about good quality and not, you know, the garbage, what he put in for Metacodes, on how you can search for it. So, you know, if we were to do a series like that, you know, we could incorporate a lot of this, uh, not only what we do, but also link in some of the others. I mean, there's some very good videographers out there. And even some of the stores have good video series on how to do this, how to do that. So wide open market to help educate our fellow hobbyists. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun to, to kind of explore this. Um, uh, on a side note, you know, the DCC topic that we kind of frequent, I, I, I think there's kind of an interest in, in technology, maybe. Um, I, I, I've been looking at some of the how the technology blogs and all that put lay out their videos and structure them, where to put the most amount of time, what not to, and it's, it's really given me some insight on, on what, what the other hobby markets are doing. So I'm thinking maybe we can pull some of that over to model railroading and that they may help impact some more people following uh, different aspects in the hobby. They didn't quite think that they would initially be interested in. So a lot of, a lot of good stuff, I think. And you know, I, I'm really excited about the, the next few steps here as far as, like, you know, developing video Well, here's content, a thought you know? that occurred to me. If there were a drop-down tab at atherne.com where the stuff you produce, maybe some of my stuff, could that could become a central reference point. Yeah, yeah, that that would be something where you know you have yes. user generated content. That's what the the social media uh, buzzword is for that. And yeah, it, it would be one of those places where it would sort of be the, the central place. linking place. Yeah. Well, how do you take this RTR underframe and put a yeah. motor in it? Well, here's a video on how to do that. It's not something that really Athens should promote because or Athern should develop it because it doesn't use their, their own parts, you know, that, that's, that was the original intent. But, you know, the model railroad aspect is you don't always have to use one manufacturer's parts to enhance a model. And that's just been parts builds for, okay. for decades, really. 
start start with rail power shell, add an Athern underframe, use uh, these different universe, use Pro Power West Machima motors. It was all just a conglomeration of different manufacturers. So okay, in fact, because a while ago you mentioned, I think uh, either. A-Line or Proto was where I got my, they sell a universal drive kit. And you just cut them, mm-hmm. put them together. Right. And I've repaired uh, Walther's drivetrains with that and stuff. So, yeah, there's uh, oh, just yeah. a huge resource out there. Okay. And then that doesn't even touch where we may be headed with battery power. Oh, yeah. Oh, did yeah. you see that? Yes, oh, yeah. I did. <laughs> I liked that. I only glanced over it. We should go read it. It was very intriguing. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to use my Harley batteries, but I couldn't get it up the stairs. And my wife wouldn't let me start it up to help (laughs) climb the stairs with it. Oh. (laughs) Rim shot. I bought from the local hobby store. He orders stuff in for me. A bunch of background buildings from Walther's. Yeah, the real narrow relief uh, to go down this one wall. And, of course, the artwork in the catalog and on the website that I used to tell uh, Mike what to buy for me, you open up the box and you go, wow, it doesn't quite look like the, uh, the photo on the outside. On this yeah. one, which they called them daylight manufacturing facilities. It was the architectural style and the 20s and 30s, at least one source that I found. And they, you know, these great big expanses of metal framed uh, windows comprising this, the uh, side to let all this daylight into this manufacturing and warehousing facility. And that's what these are. So I started masking off with uh, Tamiya, two different widths of tape so I can airbrush the basic color of the building because... It's just molded monochrome. So I've got about six hours <laughs> in masking already on just one wall because there's keystones in it that you have to cut around with an X-Acto knife and get it in. It's just part of the fun and joy of our hobby. We were talking about where do you choose to spend your spend your time. <laughs> masking. Masking buildings so oh, yeah. you can paint them. Mask. <laughs> so yeah you know i i've been hoping to eventually get to the point of actually being um inspired to build a structure yeah. i haven't got there yet but i i keep chewing on this one design like i'm gonna i'm gonna scratch build this depot i'm gonna scratch build the depot but <clears throat> I, i've been getting pulled away too many darn times and one of these days i'm gonna pull a trigger on that i feel kind of vamped up because I've been finishing things. So <laughs> Well, like, you know, we've had Jimmy Simmons on here a couple of times. He's got some incredible kits. And yeah. there's other people, you know, it's Scotty Mason and there's other people up there. And I go, golly, my head is off to the people that can sit down and build one of the Craftsman laser cut wood kits. That just, I look at it and I go, okay, I think that's above me. <laughs> but I've built one or two little wood kits and they're not that bad. I think you're right, Jim. You get into the habitat. There's a process 
and you just learn what the process is by doing a bunch of them. And by the time I'd finished my first three, the third one, actually, I wasn't ashamed to put it on the railroad after I painted it and weathered it. The first two were kind of, they were just incubators for learning the skills because they're pretty crude. I st- Oh, that's why you, that's why you buy like the, you get the, uh, okay. the bar mills, okay. the shack, the shacks. Yeah. So it's like 10 bucks, 30. I forget how much they are, but you get these three little shacks that are about, I don't know. Yeah. They're tiny little things <laughs> and you build those. Now, I think that's what I did. My first craftsman kits were the shacks, the, the bar mill shacks. And then I'd like built a bunch of them. It's just, you just have to be careful. And actually, um, what was really good is uh, um, yeah. Scotty Mason's DVDs. He just the first one is on building craftsman kits, and it just all of his series of DVDs is excellent. It's just made it. It's like you know, it's not complicated. It's just do this. Okay, that's all. You know, paint the walls, paint the windows. It's not complicated. Just right. Take care. Don't rush it. <laughs> you know, take your time. Enjoy it. People say, oh, a craftsman kit, it's $300. Oh, my goodness. Well, how long is it going to take you to build it? You know, it's going to probably take you uh, 30 to 100 hours to build it. I mean, it's not – they're not quick things until you've done a lot of them. Um, And so the, the cost per hour of hobby time is actually quite low. It's just uh, like a lot of other things. It takes you, takes most people like, oh my goodness, that's expensive. Um, the the ongoing joke, particularly in O scale, is is uh, people will say, oh my goodness, you want seventy five dollars for that structure kit? That's ridiculous. Oh, what's that under your what? What's that under your arm? Oh, it's a fifteen hundred dollar brass locomotive. But, I know, right? <laughs> but you, but you don't want to spend seventy five dollars for that that wood kit that somebody designed. Oh no, you need to buy another fifteen hundred or two thousand dollar brass locomotive. But the seventy five dollar structure kit is why too expensive. Sure. Well, you know, it's a. I kind of have a, a saying uh, as long as for Atherness and. Uh, we pretty much make train stuff for train guys, you know, mm-hmm. it, it relatively speaking, I think guys may not be at the layout stage or if they are, they're not really at the scenery stage or if they're at that, they're roughing out their, their structures. That That's kind of where the bulk of, of people are at. Um, you get fewer people kind of getting to the point of, building the structures, putting together a complete layout. Um, that That's not as, there's not as many of those those guys out there as there are guys starting. Collectors. 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 Uh, well, collectors, guys that, that are armchair modelers or ramping up to find uh, a different house or something where they can actually have a layout. There, there's a lot of, they, they all kind of fall into different different pockets. Um, mm-hmm. so just based on how, how life is, you know. Oh no, I t- I totally understand that. My my point and the joke is is going towards those people that, on the one hand, will spend 
say four hundred dollars on that really nice three to four hundred dollars on that really nice locomotive with sound in it mm-hmm. and and not even bad an eyelash and uh, a couple of people that i know who do custom structure kits you know they'll build the structure they'll you know you want your house they'll make your house right and when and when somebody says that's going to be 300 bucks they're like oh my goodness that that's too much money <laughs> you know, is you, you know, it's not that they're asking for a kit that's three hundred bucks. They want their grandmother's house, or they want something custom built, and they want it for like thirty or forty bucks because they want the they want the three hundred dollars for that locomotive. And hey, I'm there too. I, I'm I'm all about one thing that model railroaders like is engines. Yeah. <laughs> We, we always have what we, locomotives are normally like you have one locomotive yeah, yeah. for every five cars. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you're, do, if you're doing really good with the number of rolling stock you have, it's, yeah. it's one locomotive for five cars. Some people it's probably even worse. <laughs> I think you're about right because, you know, I, I think people like swapping out their power for the train that they, they put together. Mm-hmm. Um, just say, oh, I'm going to use the PAs this time, or oh, I'm going to use the F units, and who knows? It it goes from there. Um, so, yeah, which is which is fi- which is fine, and you know, I got no problem with that. I hate, like I said, I'm there too. The 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 finger I'm pointing is the people that complain about this one guy doing a custom project for him. It just happens to be a structure, not a locomotive, and they complain about how much things cost, and it's like, well. It's really not that expensive in by comparison. It's not that expensive. Yeah. But you yeah, know that. I mean, I'm, it, I'm it, sure you I'm sure you get it too. So uh, Oh yeah. I mean there's a <laughs> disproportionate, you know, glory to, to locomotives versus rolling stock versus, you know, line side detail and, and track. You uh-huh. know. Locomotives yeah. get all the glory, man. <laughs> I I know. Well, I mean, I've had stuff that I look at it and it's like, no one is going to pay 30 bucks for a, you know, an O scale electrical cabinet. Yes. Right. But I have people, I have people ordering the full thing. That's the thing that totally blows my mind is people try to order it from Shapeways and it it won't print. But I'm I'm like, I have it up up there to, you know, it's available and viewable by the public and probably once every three or four months people will try to order it and it fails because it was like the it was the first complex item i ever drew in a 3d modeling program so it's it's extremely detailed but it's also which means it's not going to print because everything's too thin it's scale almost right and and it's you know it's like if if any and if any, any of the walls are correct they're right at the edge of the printability of the materials. Oh yeah, I mean this it's it's really nice, but it's also I would never draw something like that. It's it's a very sloppy model because I didn't know what I was doing. So there's there are there are technical issues with the model that if I drew the same thing again now, it would not have any of those issues, and it would take me less time to draw it, but. Yeah. But it, it totally amazes me what people will go to buy, and I'm like, it's like really, you can buy <laughs> you you can buy an Atlas one for less money than this thing. 
<laughs> we were talking about people have a lot of locomotives. They'll detail that buildings. You know, I have built a bunch of buildings and I've weathered them and washed them and they, you know, but the thing that drives me crazy and it's why I liked your posting on the, the Facebook page, Jim was on the track work and I've got one six foot run of track. I bet you I've ballasted and reballasted two or three times because it looks good when you're viewing it from the side, even on a step ladder looking down. But if I go to the end of the straight section and I look down the rail, I see, especially to how a camera lens will see it, how uneven the ballast is. Low point, high point. So I'll go mm -hmm. back in. I've played around with different types of brushes that will smooth without dragging it. And I've done that. And then I did Google searches for pictures of track so that I could get the coloring down. You know, you start with a basic. A lot of guys use like a camouflage brown, mix it with gray. And then I finally got to dry pigments and a makeup brush to lightly go over the inside and outside of the rail because it also picks up the the tie plates and stuff as the rush will or the rust will mm -hmm. rush down. Yeah. But I bet you I've got yeah. as much time in in this track as I did doing all four of those Alco PAPB locomotives with decoders and LED lights. <laughs> it just because it's yep. what people see mm -hmm. if you photograph it or video it. Right. And I've seen so many mm -hmm. yeah. good examples of track yep. by modelers. And I'm going, crap, they are doing something that I am. Not. Well, the, the other thing that in, in, in my clinic about yeah. track as a model, too, um, and I think we've discussed this before, but I, I, you know, you people will say a lot of people will say, well, you can't see. Yes, it. you can. <laughs> Says yes, you can. Yeah, I say, and I and I tell the people of that. I mean, how many people look? You know, want to apply the three oh, foot yeah. rule yeah. to their modeling? You know, people will raise people. People raise their hand, and, they, and it says, "How many people here say I don't add the detail because you can't see it?" People raise their hand. I says, "Okay, here's a prototype photo. We're three hundred feet away. Can you see the joint bars?" Yes, you can, because they're here, 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 and here from 300 feet away, which is actually yeah. like six feet away. So the reason that you say that you can't see it is because you, you don't want to take the time to put it on. That's why. Don't say don't, – don't tell anybody you can't see it because you can. Say you don't want to. That's okay. To say, oh, no, you can't see it. No, that just makes you feel better. However – like what you're doing is, is take the piece, take a section of railroad that's right as soon as you walk down in your layout room and, and detail that up totally. Make one place for photographs or whatever you want to do, one spot. Don't do your whole layout. That's madness, unless that's what you want to do. But just take one, one place, say, you know, four to six feet, maybe eight feet long one place in the layout and do that up and that's it because that's what people will look at and people will like oh my goodness look at all this stuff and even if they can't see it they'll know something's right 
that's a very good point. It, it won't. You won't. You, yeah. you won't. You won't necessarily at first see the detail. You'll just know something's right. Uh, I went to one gentleman's layout, and I forget what his name is. He does. I. Uh, he does a he does a section in New Jersey the the Northeast Corridor. Yeah. He does Cantonary, mm-hmm. and and when you look at it, I mean he's got the it's got uh, switch machines. So the switch machines and the, the the goo on the ground and everything. I mean it's like everything. The, you don't quite get the de- you don't quite get all those details right away. But you look at the track and the interlockings, and you're like something's right. Yeah. Something something is right here because the, oh he's got the switch machines in the right spots and the grease in the right spots and this isn't you know it's like and switch heaters and like all these little details yeah you don't notice it it's like people tell me oh you can't tell the difference between Ford 48 and and regular O scale yes you can when they're next to each other <laughs> yeah when, when they're not. Okay, I'll give you that. If somebody does a really good job with their track, it kind of it's harder to tell. Um, somebody but like what me, you're saying is like the, the the sum is greater than the whole. It's not like yeah. uh, is someone going to notice I put down this one joint bar? It yeah. adds to the overall scene, making yeah. the overall scene more realistic. One joint bar, probably not. Um, but if you did, you know, an, an eight foot section of railroad with joint bars, the other thing, the trick with joint bars, is you need to Put in the joints. Yeah. Um, yes. That actually makes a big difference. Instead, oh, that I, you know, it, it, well, in reality, all it takes is um, take a uh, any kind of exacto blade. It doesn't matter. Uh, nickel silver is soft enough where it will work, and just scribe a line at the joint. So just take the blade and run it across the top the railhead. And then you'll you'll cut a line, so as if it were a joint. You don't have to use a razor saw. A razor saw is actually too wide. Take it. Take a knife. Cut in. Put a cut in the top of the um, the railhead, and then uh, put a wash of paint, like black or dark gray paint, so that it's India India ink. Not so much because the India ink won't really stick to the rail. As much. India ink does really good with wood. It doesn't do as well with, uh, in my experience. Maybe you, you have had other experience. But if you have paint, very thin paint, um, and just and flow it into that, and then you can wipe off the rest of the paint on the top of the railhead, and then that will make that joint pop good without point. a lot of effort. You haven't done a lot of effort, and it, and it actually looks far more scale than if you take a razor saw. You can take a razor saw and do that, and then it'll be like, oh, there's a joint. Um, and in O scale, that might work. But in uh, in HO, it's it's a little bit okay. too big of a joint. Well, again, your example of what would micros call it, the signature piece where you're going to do the, uh, the track. Yeah. One of the guys when we used to run 25, 30 foot long trains at the store, on that big display lot, he goes, hey, I detail my locomotives and I detail the first five cars and the last five cars. Yeah. He said, then the rest yep. of them, he said, because 
it's what you said, Jim. They see the beginning, and their mind fills in the blanks, and then they see the end, which confirms mm-hmm. what they think they saw all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't leave the well, ones yeah. in the middle <laughs> yeah. bright and shiny. You you can't coat them with gloss coat. You know, but you don't you don't you don't ha- you don't have to go to the same level as what you would with the locomotives in the first five cars. There was actually a really good, um, I don't remember what month it was, but in what's neat, um, gentleman had this chassis system, um, coal train, and that's exactly what he did. He did the, the locomotives were gorgeous. The first five cars were very well weathered. Then you had basic weathering for the rest of it. And then the last three or four cars were, yeah, really and you can work cars. your way towards the metal yeah. and eventually get it the whole way, but you don't have to kill yourself if you've got other things to do. Very good, excellent point. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, to, you know, dull coat them all. <laughs> dull coat, <laughs> you know, dull coat them all. Paint the trucks. And and honestly, that, that that's well, it's huge. like when we make trees. We make foreground trees and we make trees for the background. Even on the super tree uh-huh. kits, there are some of the branches that go, okay, you're going to the way background. Way <laughs> in the background. You have the, you, have, you have the foreground pine trees, and then you have the ones made from <laughs> yeah, whatever they right. make them from. <laughs> Recycled milk cartons. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. My favorite, uh, you know, bottle brushes and all that stuff. That's the one. Bottle brush, that's the word. Couldn't <laughs> think of the word. Yeah, the bottle brush trees are way in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused with real bottle brush trees, so they do exist. Yes. <laughs> or where you salvage the uh, artificial Christmas tree out of the alley trash pile and you cut all the tips off to make trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Chris, tell me, what is when are these STP40Fs gonna gonna start shipping? Well, they're in process okay. of building them. They're they're not that far off. Uh, we're looking at August. Oh, you, you told us July. Yeah. Well, July is when they they might be finished building them. So, but you know, if you can wait till the end of July, you know, I mean, what's August yeah. really? <laughs> okay, so. I'll just have to. Because I've got some time away from the house. I was going to tell the, uh, the hobby store not to ship them to me. I didn't want them showing up on my front porch while I was gone. Yeah, yeah that's no right. good. Because then anybody can take like an SDP-40F and love on it. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> so. right. All right, well, if they're not going to be shipping out to uh, dealers till August, I'm in good shape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you'll be fine. Just in time for uh, the the monsoon. Well, that's in for you Arizona. It just rains all the time here in New Orleans. Oh yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's just humid and rainy With, and muggy and fun. Every other day I go out and I do a bunch of bike miles, and on a road bike. I've just done that for thirty years, and so I checked the app on the phone before I left, and ah, oh, good radar doesn't show any showers or anything but i'm seeing these dark clouds off to the southeast and take off running get about five miles from the house and start sprinkling 
So I make it over another five miles, and it's just a torrential downpour. So, but then I ran oh, out, and once boy. I hit the lake, it was just clear blue skies, and I could see somebody's, uh, I could see the clouds coming, and as soon as I got to the house, it just opened up. We had like two inches of rain in an hour. Yes, nice. yes. So, yeah, it's not like you wash the car in Phoenix. You can wash it in April, and I have to worry about dusting it till August. Here, you wash about three times a yeah. week if you want want to keep a clean car. Even garage oh, kept ones, you know. Kept uh, mm-hmm. under roof, but even back when my convertibles had, you know, canvas tops on them, I, was, I wouldn't put the top down if it were dirty. And even with the hard top convertibles now, I've just, nope, the car's got to be clean if I'm going to put the top down on it. And if it's real humid here, I turn the air conditioning on <laughs> with the top down. <laughs> you're doing everybody a favor. You're trying to cool down the outside. Exactly. But you blow the cold air towards your feet. And if your feet are cool, it's a psychological thing. It works its way up your legs and you go, wow, this isn't bad. <laughs> of course, then when you got to stop at a stoplight and you're nice. roasting like a corn on a cob on the grill, yeah. Especially if you get like sun overhead. You know, the, it, there, there was a couple uh, Athern trips I went on where I, I swear the sun <laughs> was on my lap the entire way it was it was definitely the hot seat the entire way over there yeah when, so. when it comes through the windows you get the windows up and stuff it just yeah you know, it's like a piece of paper or an ant with a magnifying glass on him it's just smoking but you live with spf 50 down <laughs> here so sun is intense well well there's also scp 40 oh, can't wait i've already coming. got the train i already got the car <laughs> segregated for the first photo session do some, because uh, that's Tsunami too, right? Yeah. All right, so we'll go in and do some tweaking on those and shoot some video and get them posted. Can't wait. Actually, I don't I don't think you'll have a whole lot of tweaking to do. You're going to be liking the default values a lot, I think. They, they, the, the default sounds I was are, thinking like making maybe the graphic equalizer or something like that. Okay. You'll be and surprised, I will run Paul. Them and make my judgment after I hear them. Yeah, I I, I heard those for the first time. Uh, we brought them over to Ken's too to do some video with them, and I I, I figured you know okay I'm probably going to have to just tweak the reverb a little bit on the horn. Not one thing. In fact, uh, even through the iPhone recording that that yeah. I did on a few shots. The sound is still very substantial. Very good. Is that going to be so, in his August show? I believe it is. Yes, and and we're going to be doing a kind of a SDP 40F promo here sooner than later, and it's going to feature some run bys with uh, the new sound. Okay, well, I'll certainly do a couple here and post them. Looking forward to yeah. seeing and hearing those little babies. Well, don't forget when you do, you can. Switch the prime mover. Yeah, around I remember George uh, mentioning on one that. of them. Yeah, so so when you get them, and if you get a little bit of phasing, just switch one of the prime movers around to the the forty dash two sound, and you're off and running. That's a 
a common occurrence like on ESUs, you'll get that warbly uh, sound. And when I did the demo on the uh, the RTRs with the Tsunami 1, but with multiple speakers, series parallel, mm-hmm. there were a couple times that I did get that whoa, 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 that little uh, yes, but they That's still phasing. sounded good once I tweaked them. Mm-hmm. So... Imagine that without the phasing, and they actually start sounding like real prime movers when you have them together. Okay. Different prime mover recordings, I mean. it's uh, Yeah, yeah and all this is just leading me to that. Okay, I'm going to jerk all these baseline tsunamis out and get a bank load and <laughs> turn them into tsunami twos. Well, that is exactly yes, what Soundtracks sure. wants you, know, you to George do. Yes, I'm sure. It is a very good decoder. Yes, they'll be happy to hear. It 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 is. I'm I've been pretty satisfied with it. I made some comment to George about some things that I felt could be improved as far as like consisting yeah. some compatibility things that I ran into. But overall I'm 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 very satisfied with the sound and the lighting effects from that decoder. Oh and also the speed speed curves and all that stuff though. On the, the uh, five Genesis units that I've done so far by setting up the dynamic digital exhaust and then consisting the units, but putting like five or six inches between them just to see how the speed match was, I was just blown away. Even at one and two speed steps, how one, finite to speed control was, but two, how much in sync they were. Yeah. And then hooking the three... And as I walk around with him, I'm watching the couplers. Am I getting, you know, couplers flaying to the side because one unit behind is pushing and stuff? No, they were just incredible. So the Tsunami yeah. motor control was excellent. And then, of course, the Genesis, you know, I take everything apart and lube it and clean it. Yeah, you know, the trucks and the Genesis motor are very high quality anyway, so that plays its part in there. Yeah, that, that just goes back to how we start off the conversation. It's just good engineering. I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's been a lot of advancements, and it's just all led to yeah. this, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, the uh, the sixth one I've got is in a Proto, late model Proto, and it runs mm. very, very well. Mm-hmm. I'm still not happy with the speakers in it, though. I've got Railmasters 28 millimeters in there. But once once you see what you can do with like three or four series parallel sugar cubes, it just I'm going, okay, I'm gonna have to come in here and modify this frame. They have speaker mounts like you guys put in yours, uh, cast into the frame. Yeah. But I'm going, okay, I need some room mm-hmm. for some sugar cubes in here so I can get that throaty roar from those five sixty sevens. But it runs nice, right. so but right. yeah, the uh, the Genesis are just like a hot knife through butter. They're that smooth. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, but it simplified life. My wife, she doesn't have to worry about what to buy me for anniversaries, birthdays, and Christmas anymore. If it's <laughs> if it's a Genesis <laughs> line, you know, I'll give you a nod. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, you you know it's. One thing that I, I started discovering, you know, going between 
sugar cubes and, and yeah. conventional speakers is sometimes both sound mm -hmm. pretty good together too. Just cut in a sugar cube in line with a conventional speaker and it, it's you get some pretty good tone out of that thing. I think what you have to the round twenty eight millimeters and I've I've got a blog posting to because I made some custom enclosures for the uh, speakers and made them out of mm -hmm. uh, liter Coke bottle caps. And mm -hmm. the ones that really sounded good were the miracle Grow fertilizer caps, but they were too deep. And, but boy, what a, oh. what a sound after you tweaked it through the uh, graphic equalizer. But yes, mm -hmm. the, the equalizer curve for even the round sugar cubes, you know, tablet speakers versus the rectangular ones. And I'm talking 13 by 18 by 13. So they've got a little depth to them. It's different because the speaker characteristics are different on, especially in the uh, lower mid-range frequencies. So that, yes. I thought about it. Just what you said. Let's do a mix and match here in this E unit. And then as I played around with the, mm -hmm. uh, not so much the lower two ranges, which most decoders and speakers don't go, you know, down towards 150 anyway, was toning down the mid range because it was so strong. And yeah. So, but okay, you give me something else to play around with. Okay, how can I match? round and uh, sugar cubes. You know, it, I've been finding that I like the sugar yeah. cube kind of by the horn. And then moving, I've been doing like 16 by 35 millimeter speakers. And then there's this gasket okay. you can get from soundtracks. And what it does, it kind of seals the speaker and then gives a little bit more air volume okay. in that speaker enclosure. And it makes a big difference. You wouldn't think, but it does. <laughs> well, so. yeah. Anytime you can enhance the uh, the enclosure that that space, it uh, has a impact on the sound pressure level and actually the fizzality of the sound. Because when I put them in there, I close couple them. So I mean, right beside, and if I'm doing series parallel, the fourth speaker, and this was the first posting I did in. Professor Kleisler and a few other guys chimed in, and he said, well, why don't you take that fourth speaker and put it up behind the cab for locality of the horn? Because it was an older, mm -hmm. uh, it was nesty 45-2s before everybody started moving the horns back you know, to where the radiator fans were. And so I did that. It just caused the right. one harness to be a little bit longer. And it did. All of a sudden, your ear is picking up. There's horn coming from the front of the locomotive as much as there is in the back. Yeah, how we talked about doing crossovers. Okay, that was a part yeah. of this mm -hmm. discussion in this thread too. And the professor wasn't that optimistic that it could be done, especially with the context of HO locomotive bodies. But he did say, yeah, maybe you could put a high-pass filter in there to kind of shunt mm -hmm. the, or narrow the frequency range going to that you know, rear set of speakers so they're not doing so much horn 
as the front. Anyway, that I thought, oh gosh, here's a whole separate discussion because he's Jim. He's what a sound engineer at a recording studio. Yeah, he uh, one of the jobs that he was involved with. He did the sound for the Olympics in where was that? Really, in Russia? The one? Yeah, he was in charge of the sound. So. Yeah, he actually, if I'm not mistaken, he was in charge or involved with setting up the sound system for the, um, I guess, the Winter Olympics in, in Russia recently. I forget where it was. It's, okay. I wasn't paying a lot of attention. But he kept he kept having to go back wow. and forth to, you know, to make sure everything was, was right. So, yeah, he has a, he has quite the, the working knowledge of sound systems. and but But that being said, you know, as he says he's in a line of work where it has to work. It yeah. has to, it has to work when they turn it on and the people he's working with don't know how it works. So when some nincompoop switches the switch, it has to work. And so that's the level that, you know, when he has a, a traveling layout, that's the level that he puts it to because, you know, when he, he's going to a train show, this layout is meant to put on a show. Right. And it, and it has to go when it, you know, so he tests it and he tests it and he tests it and makes sure everything is right before he gets there. And so he, he, he puts his model railroading kind of through the same paces as his line of work. And when I say he's a little particular, uh, there's a reason for it. Yeah, he has, a very, he has a very good reason for it. It's not just that's the way he is. He may be that way, but he has to be. He's learned to be that way because when you go through, when you check it and recheck it and make sure you, you design a system that's idiot proof and the idiot will still probably screw it up because stupid people are very <laughs> ingenious. Um, good observation. Um, uh, well, that, that's something. Um, it's like that. Somebody else made that. It's like stupidity is ingenious because you, you, the intelligent person, the designer, will make something. There's no way. This is absolutely bulletproof. And then somebody will come along and break it. It's like, why would you even think yeah. of doing that? Well, because I'm dumb. Uh, uh, I, I remember I was designing way back when, when I did uh, computer software support, I supported a. Uh, uh, computer programming product, Visual Basic. And one of the things where they were training us on Visual Basic 5, and you had to design this program that that made a call to uh, a, a database. And when you, when you called it the second time, it would throw an error. So you actually had to close the connection to the database and, and do another one. And so you had what, what the... the the uh, exercise was was catching the error mm. so i caught the error and the person who was uh who was the teacher he said wow that's cool what happens when i press the button again click Poof, the error came up she's like ah you need to fix that because stupid people will just keep pressing the button so, <laughs> so i i ended up designing this whole thing that when you press the button, it said, please don't press the button again. You press it again. You, you press the button, you know, it would say error. Please don't press this button again. 
click, you press it again. I told you before, don't press this button. <laughs> you press it again. It's like, really, you must not listen very well. You, and this is this is a message box that would pop up. You don't listen very well. I'm telling you now, don't press this button again. And if you pressed it again, what it would say, okay, uh, to avoid you hurting yourself in the future, I'm oh, reformatting God. your hard drive. <laughs> And, and, and I put on a progress bar that would gradually increase. And then what I had the program do is create a, a very small text file. It would write a very te small text file with like three letters in it. It would save it and then delete it and then create it, save it, delete it, create it. So it's constantly hitting the hard drive. So the, the, hard, drive, the, hard, the hard drive light would constantly light. And the progress bar would move up, <laughs> and the uh, and the the the, uh, the teacher was like, or the the teacher, for the lack of a better word, the instructor was like, "That's still, that that is just evil. I love it, because because you look at it, and it's like, well, you know, all they'd have to do is look at the hard drive light and realize that 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 you know that progress yeah. bar was fake." So you got to so you got to convince them that it's real. I like it. <laughs> moving on, moving on from that. Ah, the good old days. The good old days of Visual Basic Five. Yes, the good yeah, the good old days when people would call and we had we weren't allowed to say that we it was because the it was in beta and it wasn't out yet. So people would call up and say, hey, you know, I'm going to ask you questions about Visual Basic 5. I can either confirm nor deny the existence of any unreleased product. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I just want to ask you about, I can either confirm nor deny the existence of any unreleased product. But I said, you know, I, I really enjoy saying this. So if you keep asking me questions, I'll keep saying it. Or you can just <laughs> let it go. Oh, that's not very helpful. Well, you know. <laughs> Oh, what can I tell you? <laughs> oh, Jim. I know. Oh, what fun I had. <laughs> and to think they paid you for that. Yes. Oh, yes. That was a wonderful job. Very, very, very unique. Oh, did, so, um, Chris, did you get the, um, the thing the I decals. posted? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I see him right now. Yeah. That's what the... That's what Bill has worked up. Very That's cool. Yeah, I thought so. The reason for the double lettering on the side of the locomotive was he's given me both just to, you know, I'll figure out which one I want to do. The, the small lettering along the top of the locomotive oh, uh, right. is actually um, where it was on the prototype. Right. So on the prototype, on the 50-ton locomotive that was painted kind of like this um, for the Southern Pacific, Southern Pacific had one 50-ton GE locomotive. It was actually narrow gauge. Yeah, number um, one. Number one. Um, and they chose number one because it was was available. <laughs> <laughs> so they had they had just, like a few years before, they had just retired the previous number one so they didn't have any num more southern pacific number one so they said, ah, we'll just make it number one um and so the original one had that little lettering on the top and uh i don't know whether i will do that or not i said give me both sets of lettering so that i can choose what i want since right. this 
didn't really exist anyway. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of basing it on Walt Disney's attitude of I'm doing what I like. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 No, you know, it's like it, it doesn't exist anyway. I'm doing what I like. And I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I wanted to put it in the same number series as the reason for 384 is that's my um, – that's the prefix of the phone number that I've had for 40 years. So uh, his, his locomotive on his model railroad was 173, which was his house number. So it's like, oh, well, since the number doesn't mean anything anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just make something up. Yep. So. Well, that would be a cool little locomotive there. I think so. I think so. I like, I've always liked that scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, the other switcher that I've got it may I may end up doing um, same paint scheme, different number, but um, I've got a an Atlas SW9. Oh, that, cool! Yeah, so uh, that's Proto 48 So I may I may paint that this way. I really like this paint scheme. So, oh yeah, I I don't know how well I'm going to do with decaling the stripes, but we'll yeah uh, on the cabin. No. That's going to be. Uh... <laughs> A little bit of cut and fit. Uh, it's not as bad as you think, but um, he—he—if you look at it, he's got separate pieces for the cab, and the—he's um, got separate pieces for the cab and the the pilot. It's not—it's not all one piece. It looks like it's one piece, but it isn't. He has it separated because I asked him. I was like, "Please separate it because <laughs> I, I I don't want to count on myself to be able to make that cut straight because I can't make you know just and literally just today I was hanging um uh, hanging a towel rack in my new bathroom on the house remodel we've been doing." Hanging a towel rack. Well, it's not a big deal. You drill four holes. So the I drilled the first two, hung the thing, and I drew, you know, I, I put the thing on the wall, took a pencil, drew a circle in around the hole on both of the holes, took the rack off, drilled the holes on those circles, put the rack back on, well, drilled the, drilled the holes, put in the... Um, the anchors. The anchors. Thank you very much. Put in the anchors. Put the put the piece back on the wall, and the ho- and the li- and the holes didn't line up line up with the anchors. <laughs> I was like, how is this even possible? I, I I put the part on the wall. I I put the part on the wall. I I measured. Well, I didn't measure anything because I just drew where the holes were. How can they not line up? Now that being said, if you you know if I as long as I didn't screw each one in, yeah. You know, if you if you hold the part at the length of the screw, then it it will screw together. It's not a problem. It wasn't that far off. It was just slightly off, so that when you put the part in, the, the holes didn't exactly line up. That was what was like. How is that even possible? So <laughs> I had I had just done that, and I, and I sent him and says, "Please separate these decals because." Do not count on me to be able to cut a straight line. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. See, that's the thing is what I said is I can I can says I'm not really good. What did I say? It's like I'm not really good 
at this type of thing. I says, I yeah. know how to correct mistakes, but with decals on the end of a locomotive, I'm not quite sure that I could. <laughs> so please just cut them in half. No problem. Yeah, no, that's going to be uh, really good looking. Make sure when you get it done, you post some pictures on the Facebook page. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, didn't I post pictures of the caboose? I don't recall seeing caboose pictures. Anyway, anyway, it's not a big deal. I'll, um, yeah, I proto 48 the, the, uh, <laughs> this is kind of, it's one of those things that my, so uh, I bought one, I bought one of these caboose. You can actually, you can still get them. You can, um, contact the guy, um, and, and get these things. They're done with the blessing of the Disney family. So it's actually designed and everything with Disney, uh, in accordance with, the Disney family wishes and it's approved and everything, the caboose anyway, and it's done by MTH. So it's a special run of cars done by, from the factory by MTH. Mm-hmm. And I, I bought one for my brother and he sent somebody else back the next day. He didn't have any more. They were all sold out, but he sent me. So I get this thing in the mail and I'm like, what the heck did I order? I didn't order anything because I had no idea I was getting it. It was a nice present, but it's like, I have, what did I order? What the heck? I haven't ordered anything. You know, what what did I spend money on this time? <laughs> and I opened, oh, wow, my brother's cool. Um, and I hemmed and hawed. I was like, yeah, well, you know, I can't run it on my railroad because I'm Proto 48 and this thing is three rail. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, Walt would want you to have fun with it. Pro, pro, Proto 48 it. I said, yeah, but it's a collector's item. Walt wouldn't care. He would just make it, he would have he would want you to have fun with it and i was like well i can't really argue with that <laughs> that was the formal blessing yeah well yeah, you know what and it wasn't even hard that was the nice thing it wasn't even hard <laughs> to do it yeah it was just drill out the um i had to take out the uh, um the the bearing surfaces on the uh on on the uh, side frames i didn't i didn't narrow the side frames or anything the, it you really can't tell as far as I'm concerned. And I just drilled it out and put in the roller bearings that I use. And hey, presto, it's done. Quite literally, it was like zip. Well, I had to put in spacers on the axles to make sure they didn't wander. But um, that wasn't particularly complicated. So a little bit of brass stock curled in a circle and super glued. Piece, Piece of, of cake. Piece of cake. Yep. Piece of pie. Mm. Mm. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. How about some? Um, I can't think of the word. Jambalaya. It's a little more New Orleans-ish. It is. How about a, how about a, how about a couple of po' boys? Po' boys. I'll tell you what. The other day we drove down towards the Gulf, down to this little town called Violet, and there's a little restaurant down there. Uh, family owned and went in and had a roast beef with debris. That's just all the <laughs> bits and pieces of of meat and stuff off the bottom of the pan. Okay. You know, little extra chunks of meat. And so after they put all the sliced roast beef on, a little bit of the clear juices, then they spoon up this debris. That's what they call it. Put it on there, and then, you know, your lettuce, tomato, and all that stuff to fully dress it. I said, well, just give me the small one. I'm thinking, like, maybe five, six inch. And then I got a side order of mac and cheese. Oh, boy. Because I figured side dish, small. Yeah, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, I can see where this is going, because this is Louisiana. 
Yes. Okay. So the waitress comes out with this food and this small sandwich is like almost 12 inches long. And I said, I wanted the small. And she goes, that is the small. And then I looked at the mac and cheese and it was like half a football. Yeah. Half a football. I can imagine. And it was, oh, and they had breading in it. Anyway, it was just incredible. Yes. An excellent Poor boy. So these two police officers come in from the, the local sheriff department to eat their lunch while my wife and I were there. And they're chit-chatting and all this stuff. They sat at a table beside us. And she brings out their, their lunch. And this is a full-size dinner plate. 95% of the surface area is covered with some kind of food. And it's like three inches tall in the middle. I looked at my wife and said, how in the world is he not going to have to take a nap this afternoon? <laughs> I mean, it was like I couldn't eat that much food. But yeah, they uh, they are very generous. Oh, yeah. With the, uh-huh. with the food down there and these little oh, yeah. family-owned restaurants. Oh, yeah, I don't doubt it. Yeah, a little, yeah, little, little family restaurant in Louisiana. Oh, yeah, you're getting half a, half a truckload of macaroni and cheese right there. Oh, gosh, <laughs> and it was good. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Just before I got back home, we just went up to one of the restaurants. I mean, they're all just like three blocks away from the house. And the one place we were going was just packed. have no idea, special event or whatever. So I said, well, look, let's just walk over to the cove. We get burgers or whatever. So I had a grilled chicken breast poor boy. And I'm thinking this is going to be like tenders or whatever. No, this was like a full chicken. seven or eight ounce chicken breast oh that's it i figured they like put the whole chicken on there and just like no pick the the bones out it gives it better more flavor (laughs) yeah no just and it was grilled it was fully dressed and then oh on a really good uh poor boy bun nice crunchy crust and stuff i went oh yeah i forgot there's nothing small in any of these restaurants because i've lost like 12 pounds this month and on purpose and I thought, okay, because my wife was off all week, so she was in from out of town. So you I've, obviously haven't been eating out much then. Well, no, I cooked yeah. three or four of the nights, and then we did a couple lunches and stuff. And then I would cook dinner or grill or something. I said, ah, oh. I said my pants are still fitting loose, which is good. But yeah, I'm glad you're going back to work, honey. We couldn't do this much longer without me swelling up, you know, like a tick. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been kind of swelling up with uh, sitting around home doing nothing because of the recovering from surgery. So, yeah. So, I mean, even I was hanging some. I had uh, hernia surgery, and the doctor said after two weeks or whatever it was, he said, "Okay, you're cleared to do light uh, aerobics, which is essentially taking the dog for a walk." Okay. Absolutely, you could do some exercise, but absolutely no abs. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I can do planks? And he looked at me. I'm like, yes, yes, I know, I know. And so I'm hanging a, I'm hanging one of the, the uh, shades in the house. Cause, and uh, the one horrible thing about Phillips head screws is they strip. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so you got to hold the drill in so that it doesn't strip. And so I'm trying to, you know, and it's above my head. With the drill, I've got it going as slow as I can, and I'm trying to push this this Phillips head screw in without, and it's and it keeps stripping, and I started pressing on it really hard, and I pulled it, and I and I, and I'm like, oh boy, 
Okay, so I'm, apparently I'm using way more abs than I would think I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me let me go reality. home. Reality. Yeah, reality. It's like, oh, I need to go home and ice it. Oh boy. So now I know what he means, and I figured I was okay, but no. So yeah, I kind of figured out how to. I bought some screws with a square head drive. Yeah. Which yeah. Which don't strip. I screw that in first. Uh, the problem with them is they're nice screws, but they've got kind of like a washer head on them. I yeah. can't use it. I can't use it because of the bracket that holds the, the shade up. It yeah. doesn't fit unless I grind off the – and I'm not going to spend that much time on a bunch of stupid screws. So I use it to remount the hole. I yeah. use that screw to remount the hole, and then I put in this, this screw with the Phillips head, and it goes right in mostly. But at least I don't have to push on it real hard. That's- yeah. You know, if I come up here and I'm working on something most of the day up here in the train room, I buy these uh, protein bars at mm-hmm. Costco. Yeah. And two of those will get me from six in the morning till four at night with no problem. And good, they get protein. And that's what really started the the first weight loss rolling. And then, you know, eating sensibly at night. Uh-huh. Yeah, like a chicken breast or a baked uh, piece of fish or something like that. And you, mean you don't give, you don't, going, you don't go out at night and get a large pizza? No, no. Uh, Extra cheese and bacon? No, we have, uh, because my wife was, she said, well, I'm going to cut back and lose a few pounds too. So mutual support, you know, and she's living in a hotel all week where she's doing this project. And I said, well, what are you doing there? She says, lean cuisine in the microwave. She said, for lunch and for dinner. I said, you're disciplined, a woman of iron. Yes. You could get away, you so, could get away with Subway as long as you eat the right stuff. Well, and the older you get, you've just got to cut down the portion control too. Well, it depends on whether you're doing that. We, well, you, everybody should be doing portion control, but that there's that, and then there's um, getting enough exercise. You know, that that. Well, that's what the biking does for yep. me. You know. Yep. Or you can become involved with Fremo, Paul, and then you can start setting up modules. Yeah. And there, there's your aerobics. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Then you, then you can, you know, if you build them right, you, you know, you can bench press the. <laughs> get down on the ground. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Bench press. Then it says when they're particularly heavy, you get down on your back and you put. You know, you can leg. You can then you can leg press the the uh, the modules in place. It's yeah, it. let me make some notes here on how to do this. Okay, that's that's how you leg press it in. That's when you get up and I say, "Hey, Bob, I think you built this one a little heavy." Yeah, uh, yeah. If I have to, if I have to plywood on everything, you know. And- uh-huh. Full track, you know, it's a full size yard, thirty inch wide mod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you you know, using stuff that's scale weight, you know, just just not necessary. You know, I yeah. shot bullet, I shot bullets at your module, and they bounced off, Bob. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think it's a little overbuilt. Yep. Oh well. Yeah, well, I know this. These modules I bought from the guy in Florida. Yeah, they're he must breed elephants or something because these these things are sturdy as they can be but yet they're not inordinately you know heavy mm-hmm. That's uh, a plus. two foot wide four foot very well designed and you know with uh clegg screws mm-hmm. really clamped together well so if we move after this next year i'm going oh crap you know i know i can save the the modules it's just a lot of trees are going to die yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these trees are going to die here and the track never survives a move, so. Well, it can, but you have to uh, be particularly 
careful. Yeah. It depends. What would you, that's, see, that's a good point because one of the guys in his blog entry was telling about moving and how he had to take down his railroad. And my thing is like, I built removable corners because there's two doors in this room, but I'm thinking, okay, when I go to remove them, wonder what the best way to cut this track is so it doesn't just totally self-destruct and rip up from the ballasting. What, a Dremel with a metal cut? Um, Probably. The problem with most of that, um, the ideal thing would be a jeweler saw. Well, I've got that. Yeah, the trick is is being able to get the jeweler saw into wherever the track is. That's the ideal thing to use is a jeweler saw. Okay. Better than a Dremel. For some reason, because you you can control it a lot better. There's just so much force and heat created when you're using a Dremel that, I mean, it's relatively quick. Although I'm amazed at how quick a jeweler saw will cut. It it makes less mess and probably about as fast as a Dremel if you do it right. Well, all this is double track mainline, so I was concerned about the jeweler saw spanning the double mainline. Mm-hmm. Well, again. Or even just one side and then cut the other side. That's that's going to be the quickest thing. You could also use a razor saw, but a razor saw isn't nearly as good as a uh, jeweler saw. Jeweler saw. Yeah. I mean, but the, as you say, if you're doing a double track mainline, then probably a jeweler saw isn't going to do it. And really, this is just cutting the track to disassemble it because when I put it back together, I'm going to have to, you know, step back on the other side of the cut so I can probably put a some kind of little stubby piece in there to rejoin them. Yeah, you could. Well, the other thing that you could do is um, this is a plastic track, plastic ties, flex track. Yeah, it's Pico. Okay, yeah. Um, if you want to save it, uh, then you might spike the rails on either side of the place you're going to cut, and then cut it with a yeah. And cut it with a Dremel. Okay. But four spikes, four <clears throat> four spikes, four spikes on um, not four spikes, but two spikes on each tie on each at each rail. So four, okay. four spikes at each tie, and particularly the not the micro but the small spikes that've got big stinking heads. You're not going to leave it there. But it's going to hold real well as long as, long as you're careful. And um, that will hold the rail in place no matter what kind of torque the uh, Dremel puts on it. So, Okay. Because I did consider when I put it back together, I would come in on where these ends of this rail is, mm-hmm. wherever that is, and solder in some Pieces. clad ties like mm-hmm. from Fast Tracks. Yep. Which will keep the track locked engaged? Mm, yes, as long as you can keep the tie in place. Yes. Here in, uh, here in lies here in lies the problem with that is you need to be able to keep the you have to be able to keep the tie that tie there. Yeah. So, um, I don't necessarily trust glue to do that. Although it probably would be okay, but. No, I was going to solder it in place. Well, I understand you're going to solder the you're going to solder the PC board tie to the rail I, that is obvious but that's all fine and dandy but that tie is still going to move oh that's what i mean is, is connecting it to, I, I understand you're going to solder it to the ties uh, you're going to solder it to the rail but you need you're to, talking about the tie itself is not going to be bound to the road bed. road bed yeah okay that's what you have to Good think point. that's what you have to think about unless you take a big piece of pc board material yeah that's not a tie but just a piece you know just a section of big section of PC board material in that, and use that as the join and then screw that into the baseboard. 
I mean, I don't, Ooh, I don't know. Okay. That's what I did on the chocolate. On the ch- on the chocolate, where I'm not going to put in, you know, the the modules themselves is is how you locate the track. Yeah. You know, they just the the track just butts right up against each other. I put yes. I put these big sections of PC board material. I screwed it to the end, and then I got okay. you know these are like quarter inch hat, you know, three eighths of an inch pieces of PC board stuff. Wow. Oh yeah. Then solder. And what I did is I, is I had, I laid the rails across the joint and then cut the joint out. Okay. Take a picture. Um, you don't have to do it right now. Uh, except I already have the picture. Email it to me so I can visually confirm what I think you're saying. And and all that was was the leftover from the um, the 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 new way that Fast Tracks provides the ties, which are machined PC Boy ties instead of stamped. This is that's what that's the leftover, you know. So what you would throw away anyway, because it's it's basically there is no use for them. Yeah, that's just leftover PC board material. So if you're going to buy the ties from Fast Tracks, you're going to get that anyway. Okay, and I've got uh, part of a bag of oh. ties. Ah. So never mind. But see that way. I mean, that way you put you know that. I mean, the end of the layout. I obviously made wood so that I could do this. Yes, but that ain't moving. <laughs> no, <laughs> those I were those. You know that PC board is screwed. It was nice long screws into the wood, and the rails are soldered with silver solder. It's like, what's the blue painter's tape for? Yeah. Hopefully that last one will show you what the blue pa- painter tape is for. Yeah, it just protects the edge while you're sawing? Uh, no, it get, holds it in place? It holds the, it, it keeps the, the saw blade from skipping. So it's it's a guide so that the, so that the, you can just butt the saw blade up against the tape and then, and then saw because uh, particularly with a razor saw like this, because, you, you know, this you look at this, there's three tracks here. As much as I like a uh, jeweler saw, it would never work here. It would never work in this spot. So you oh, yeah. you, either ha- you either have to do a Dremel, which is too big of a gap, or a razor saw, which is a pain in the butt to use uh, on rail. So you have to have something so that it doesn't skip across the rail head as you start to cut. Yes. You know, so the tape, you just... Jam the saw blade up against it. The reason why the, the saw is a little crooked is because it's kind of hard to take a picture with your smartphone. Take a picture with your smartphone and hold the blade up against the tape and have it be straight. And yeah, no. I can imagine. Mm. Meanwhile, we haven't really talked about that gondola. I don't. I didn't know what you wanted to talk about. With the well, you were just adding all those pictures in details to it. Yeah. Well, honestly, that was a. I finally decided I had wanted for a long time. It's like, okay, how am I going to do? I don't know how to do chipping. I wanted to do a series of the layering because if you're going to do the hairspray technique, you put put on a base layer and then you seal it and then you put on the the hairspray and then you put on your top color and then you chip it off. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to dent the car. But that car is plastic. It's very, you know, it's it's very heavy sides for the plastic. Yes. And I was concerned about. I mean, I've done it in an HO on cars that I didn't particularly care about. This thing has got three printed ends, 
Uh, I've done a lot of work to it. So I was kind of hemming and hawing about, ah, should I do it? Should I not? You know, and then finally I just was like, you know what, just paint it and do it. Don't, you know, if you're going to dent up one of these cars, print up one that you, you know, dent up one that you haven't put the 3d printed ends on yet and could easily ruin, you know, so, cause this is the problem is you do the wrong thing. And that printed end is not the strongest thing in the world. Um, it's fine as long as you don't try to torque it, if that makes any sense. It's not like it's just going to disintegrate on you, but it isn't, it's not like a piece of styrene. So once it's glued in there and everything is like all perfect and, you know, don't, I was overthinking it. And by overthinking it, nothing got done. And so finally, yeah. I got, you know, the thing had sat with the paint, with the lettering uh, taken off and it looked kind of ratty. It had sat that way for two years. And finally, I said, I'm going to spray bomb it with the, um, that Rust-Oleum um, camouflage brown as a base color. And finally, I just okay. finally, I just did it. And basically, the, 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 the lesson of that is go on YouTube, see a couple of videos, just do it. Just do something. <laughs> do something. And actually, you know, I was like, oh, okay, a whole bunch of other stuff got done. But – because of that, it's just getting off your duff and stop overthinking things. And that's due to a couple um, – getting a couple of different – I got Vallejo colors. Uh, Vallejo does a nice uh, rust set, and they, they're the one that has the chipping solution. The chipping solution from Vallejo is really aggressive and very easy to use as opposed to hairspray, which sometimes people – you know, sometimes you can get it wrong. I was amazed at how easy the Vallejo. I've, what I've heard from some people is that sometimes you know the hairspray works and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it's tricky. And the Vallejo chipping stuff was sprayed it on, it worked. It was you know no no complaints about that. And the um, the rest of the weathering, like the rust color and stuff like that, is a company called Life Color. Okay. I got some uh, in the pictures of that tank car are actually acrylic washes that life color produce rust color uh, acrylic washes um which is, is a nice product as well and in it it comes with a solution to get the wash off after it dries because one of the complaints about doing a wash with acrylics is that once it sets <laughs> it's done you can't get it off Wow. Okay. Well, well, I mean, generally with acrylic colors, once it sets on the whatever you're doing, once it sets, it's done. Unlike oils, oils you can always get off. Until you seal it with dull coat, you can always put turpentine on the model, and the and the oils will come off even after they set. Yeah, the uh, those pictures I posted there with the the tank cars. That's uh, Winton oil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just sealed that with dull coat because right. I did some. Additional dry powder weathering after I got the fade on there, yep. and uh, but yeah, you're right. As you can, if you haven't sealed it, you can uh, still go back in and moderate or modify the the Winton oils. Mm -hmm. And one a little bit. One of the things that scares people about acrylics is they generally once they set. You can't get them off unless you strip them off. They can be really uh, tough. 
particularly with a wash. You know, oil wash, yeah. oil washes are way more forgiving, uh, whereas a, an acrylic wash, not so much. But these, one of the the selling, one of the things that comes with the kit is a um, not really a solvent, but a solution to get the wash off if you don't want it there. So, okay, so little little uh, different, but it's a bunch of you know a bunch of rust colors. Um, and um, in the the dust and rust kit for the paint, nice acrylic paint covers very well, and it comes with a couple of different dust colors, which is nice because they're not bright white. So I've used them in places where you think it's white, but it isn't. Okay. But it looks right because it isn't white. If that makes any sense, because you don't really want it to be white. Your eye, your your brain kind of thinks that's white. But if it was white, it wouldn't look right. You'd be like, wow, that's too bright. But if it's slightly dusty, yes, it still looks white, but it isn't. But it looks right. And that's what I found with the dust color that came in that set. So, you know, I painted some, you know, white. If you saw the pictures of the graffiti, which is white spray paint, I didn't do it in the white. I did it in the dust color. But, okay. you know, the guy didn't really go really heavy with the yellow, with the white paint. He just kind of, like, went over it once. And it's very, very subtle graffiti. It's not over-the-top stuff. So I think the, the dust color did a much better job representing the kind of thinnish white spray paint than if you tried to do the same thing with white paint, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest lesson to that is just do something. Stop, stop overthinking it, and if you have any questions, you know... You know, until you – that car was too far along in its completion cycle, if that makes any sense, to, okay. to really go – because of what it was, to really go crazy with trying to dent the snot out of it as a gondola. It, it was too far along, it could, you know, because then, you know, with a, with a styrene gondola, you can very easily ruin that. Yeah. Because basically you have to use heat. And you have to use so much heat that all of a sudden it's just going to melt. <laughs> That's right. And then, it, then yeah, it, and then it will look like a piece of plastic instead of a piece of metal. And once it gets that to that point, it's just ruined. That's true. Unless you're cutting huge sections of it out and replacing it, and then that wouldn't look right either. So it's like you know what, just just paint it, weather it, chip it, read, you know, watch a bunch of stuff on YouTube, learn how to chip it. It doesn't look that complicated. Just put on your man pants and try it. I mean, that's that's essentially that's essentially what it comes down to. Um, yeah, because it doesn't look like dents when you're doing the heat. It looks like controlled melt, and sometimes out of control melt. Unless, no, you're right. Unless it's very subtle. But the problem is, is is it is it has to be so subtle that it takes a long time. Yeah, I mean to do it with heat and not make it as you say, look like a bunch of dent, uh, like melted plastic, you have to go so slow that is it really worth the effort? Okay, what's the name of the Vallejo, the, the chipping kit? Rust and chipping effects. All right, Cheers. thanks. You're Jim. welcome. Bye.